0: Helping people cope with and overcome life's challenges. This is Life Transformations with Michael Hart, Canadian certified counselor and award winning psychotherapist.
1: Welcome and Merry Christmas! We are so excited to be joining you on this special day. And like always, we have an exciting show lined up for you. Today we're going to be exploring the Christmas story in a way you've never heard before. For many of you listening today, you may have already cracked open your Bibles and read the Christmas story. Or maybe you're getting ready to go to a Christmas Eve service this evening. And you're going to be hearing that tale that we repeat Each and every year at this time, but let me tell you, we're going to be exploring this story during our show today in a way, as I said, you've not ever heard before. So stay tuned for this exciting show where we're going to be looking at a psychological perspective of the Christmas story. My name is Melissa Waggett, and I am the co-host of the Life Transformation Radio Show. I am so excited that you've decided to join us this morning. If you want to find out more about this radio program, I encourage you to go to our website at elamcounselingministry.com. Elam is spelled E-L-I-M, counseling with two L's, ministry.com. Or you can always call us toll free at one And while you're on our website, we encourage you to look at our helpful articles and links and to learn more about our counseling services. So with me in studio today is Michael Hart for our faithful listeners. He is a very familiar voice to you. He is the Director of Elam Counseling Ministries, and he is a certified psychotherapist, and he joins me each and every week to explore these topics. And I'm so excited to be joining you, Michael, this Christmas Eve. Merry Christmas!
0: Merry Christmas to you, and Merry Christmas to all our listeners as well. Thank you very much for staying with us throughout the year and for being with us today on this eve of our Lord's birthday.
1: Yeah, very exciting. I'm, and I'm not going to be too mean, Michael, to ask you, have you got all your shopping done? Haven't Are all, all the presents <laughs> wrapped? Because the clock is ticking, right? Hmm. So, so as I said in our intro, Michael, we're going to be looking at the Christmas story, which I think is going to be read at least once today <laughs> by many people, but we're going to be taking it from a different perspective. Mm-hmm. And we're going to be picking apart – Well, I shouldn't say picking apart, that's a bit mean – we're going to be discussing the different characters we see in the story and what they represent. Um, And the one you've picked off off the top is Mary, probably one of the more familiar characters in the story. I know for me growing up as a young girl in a church, my goal in life was to be Mary in the, the Christmas play. It never happened. And I think I'm still scarred by it. But for Mary in the real story, what does she represent to us from a psychological perspective? What can we learn from her story?
0: Mary's an example of someone who failed to live up to the status quo, the expectation that her culture and her society required of her as, uh, as a female, as a woman. And so uh, she's a type of those of us who, for whatever reason, feel as if we are failing to Uh, to live up to the expectations or to to follow what is considered to be the norm. And my reason for saying this is that what happened to Mary wasn't expected to happen that way. Virgins aren't supposed to get pregnant. You're not supposed to to, to be pregnant before the day of your, your wedding. And so, as the story goes in the Scripture, she is engaged to Joseph, and she's discovered to be pregnant, and, and that put a, a wrench in what was expected to happen for that couple. And so, there are times when life throws us these curveballs that are outside of our, our control, and uh, We have to make the best of it and, and, uh, continue to trust God in the midst of not understanding why these things are happening. So Mary is this type of a, of a character in the Bible story that she's a young woman who is pregnant. She's a disgraced woman in the, in the story. We are told that Joseph, who loved her, considered putting her away privately. In other words, divorcing her privately. And we are told that the only reason they remained together is that angels came and told him that the child that she was having was not that of another man, but was conceived by the Holy Spirit. So what is happening to her doesn't fit the norm.
1: And so what other ways in the story show us that Mary wasn't fitting in in how she was treated?
0: the 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 use of the word in in the bible story in in Luke chapter 2 verse 7 is very interesting and it's often overlooked and we should remember when we we're discussing the writing of Luke that Luke was a physician he was very articulate very very educated and very very uh good in using the the language of the day so when we 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 come to the word in that is used in Luke two seven, it's a word that is different than the word that he used for the word in i n n in Luke. 10 verse third to 4. And I'll read the verse 10 3 4 uh, passage. It says, And the Samaritan went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring in oil and wine and set him on his own beast and brought him to an inn. So the word there that is used is a word that means a place where you pay for lodging. It's, it's spelled P-A-N-D-O-C-H-E I won't even bother to try to pronounce that, but that's the word that Luke uses. It's a paid service. But what's interesting, when we come to Luke 2, 7, Dr. Luke uses a totally different word. And this word that he uses is the word kataluma, K-A-T-A-L-U-M-A, which according to strong uh, concordance of, of the Greek language means a upper room in a house, a sort of guest room in a house. So I know we, are, we have this story that, that You know, we we think about it as if Mary and Joseph, they're going to these paid places like hotels, and they're trying to get a room and they couldn't get a room. But what most likely happened, in fact, based on the word that Luke uses here in Luke 2-7, is that they were turned away from the house of a friend or a relative. They they weren't weren't given any room in the house. And the manger in which they resided was probably not a stable that is detached from the house, but it would be the lower floor of the house. So in those days, uh, people would make the lower floor uh, the, the the part where the animals would would gather uh, from the elements from from the from the elements such as the wind and rain and so forth they would gather underneath the house and at the same time we know that from. From ancient times, animals were used like this to heat the upper levels because the body heat that is given off from the animals would heat the upper level so this is where Mary was. She was on the lower floor the the kind of barn that is under the house where the livestocks were kept, and she wasn't offered any room in the upper level and So when I think about the the story from even even from the the perspective of uh, the, a paid service. It seems it always bothered 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 me that this young woman is pregnant. She's near the time of her delivery, and no man in the entire Jerusalem could give up their room to say you're about to have a child. Here is. My room. So there's a lot more going on in this story than just the fact that there was no room. I think Mary was shunned partly because she was a disgraced woman and partly also because she would be considered ritually unclean. And uh, don't take my word for that. Look at what the Bible has to say about ritual uncleanness. in In Leviticus 12, verse 1 to 8, we are just read verse 2 and it says speaks to the son of israel saying when a woman gives a birth and bears a male child then she shall be unclean for 7 days so mary was unclean for for the the time that she would be considered if she's near delivery, she's she's ritually unclean, she's nearing that time and no one wants to take the chance of a woman who's unclean defiling their residence and secondly she's considered to be an adulterous woman and so that's part of the reason why she didn't fit into the status quo and she's excluded there is no room for her could be also translated that she is excluded because of who she is and how society saw her.
1: So you've painted an excellent picture of Mary not meeting the status quo. What are some of the areas of life today where people may feel is if they too may not meet the status quo, where they're being shunned, where they're being excluded?
0: I think in religious circles, we're very good at making people who fail feel excluded. And so uh, young girls who unfortunately have become pregnant out of wedlock, sometimes is not loved and nurtured by the church in a way that can keep them in the faith. They are shunned and shamed and made to feel as if they no longer Belong. So that's one example. I think other examples have to do with, uh, people sometimes who don't ho- don't have the, the kind of ministry that is esteemed by the church. There are some kind of ministries that is more esteemed by others. And so if you're something that is really visible and is really dynamic and brings a lot of attention, people tend to, to include you. But when your ministry is different, and outside of the box, and people can see the, the immediate value of it, a lot of those people are not valued and, and are excluded in the same way that Mary was. Mary was not the, on the inside. She was on the outside looking in because of what what befell her. And I think a lot of times we find ourselves in those situations because of... Of uh, sinful acts that we have we have fallen to temptations that we have succumbed to, because of what we do do not fit into the box. But into the box, but also educational status. Uh, Some people don't fit in because they they have the the skills, but they haven't been through the 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 educational system that society expects them to go through. And so, even though they might be knowledgeable and And as skillful as what they do, they might not be taken seriously as a result of that.
1: So what hope can we take from Mary's story of being that person who doesn't fit the status quo?
0: I think that the... Angels speaking into her situation and saying, do not put her away, is a very encouraging word for all of us as well. Because in the same way that people in her day couldn't understand that despite the fact that this looked like failure, despite the fact that this looked like sin, despite the fact that she was ritually unclean, according to the Bible, itself, according to the Old Testament, God still had a plan and a purpose for her that escaped the minds of those who were looking at it at the surface level. So I think the, 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 what I want to stress here is twofold. One, to those people who are putting down others or seeing them as outsiders because they do not fit the norm, I would like to say, see if you can see them through godly eyes and see them as a work in progress that they, they, God has a plan and a future for them. But number two, for those who are going through, for those who find themselves in the place of Mary, I just want to remind you that God has not rejected you God has a plan and a purpose for even your failures and your rejections
1: if you've just joined us you're listening to the life transformation radio show today we're talking about a psychological perspective of the Christmas story if you've missed the first half of today's show we encourage you to go to our website at elamcounselingministry.com. Elam is spelled e-l-i-m counseling with two l's ministry.com or you can call us toll-free at 1-877-544-3546 for a copy of today's show. So we've covered Mary. Now let's talk about the wise men. They're, they're another famous fixture in this story that we look to each and every year. What do the wise men represent?
0: The wise men represent hidden knowledge that is hidden from those who should be able to see it. So we are told that they came from the East, and according to what scholars believe is that they traveled hundreds of miles following a star, some kind of sign in the sky that would take them to the place where the baby Jesus was. And so can you imagine the surprise of these men when they arrived in Jerusalem expecting to see a big celebration for this king who was born? If we are coming from so far, then certainly the people, the local people must be celebrating. But when they came to the place where Jesus was, it wasn't a palace. There wasn't any celebration. But these wise men were wise enough to realize that you cannot follow the crowd because sometimes the crowd misses out on what God is doing. And so they were able to see the king in the manger and still worship him, even though he didn't fit the norm. On the other hand, the people who were knowledgeable of the scriptures and that had prophecies after prophecies that pointed to the fact that the Messiah was supposed to be born, uh, missed out on this because they have what what psychologists call confirmation bias.
1: And so what what is that? I was just about to ask, how could they have missed this? It was literally on their doorstep. What was causing them to be so blind?
0: Yes. And, and so Peter Watson, who... Or Wason, who did a series of experiments in the 1960s, demonstrated that people tend to look at information in a way that confirms their existing beliefs. So, when we apply this to the story of Mary, of, of the wise men, we see that what was happening in this case is that the Jews had. Uh, image in their mind of what the king was supposed to be like. The king was supposed to have military might. The king was supposed to, to be born from uh, some sort of royal family. And they didn't see this in, in, in the, the child in Mary and Joseph because they, it didn't confirm their preconceived ideas of what the king was supposed to look like. And so they missed out. Whereas the wise men coming from the East who were outside of that culture did not have that confirmation bias. They were open to whatever they came to see. And so it is that sometimes people who are in situations sometimes of a hard time understanding or seeing the situation for what it is, because they're looking at it through preconceived notions and with biased perspectives.
1: And so what are some examples of confirmation bias today?
0: So confirmation bias uh, in a relationship could be uh, a person who is in a relationship that everyone on the outside can see that this is not a good relationship for this person. But they are bent on looking at only the good qualities of this person. And so people can see the abuse, they can see the the infidelity, but this person in the relationship wants to confirm that this person is a good person because he was such a good man when I... When I met him, he made me feel so, so great. And I can't forget those wonderful times that I had. So they are likely to look past all of the, the negative information to confirm that this person is good. We see also confirmation bias taking place in some churches in which, uh, Unfortunately, the leadership is in some kind of immoral position. So many times uh, lately, unfortunately, there there are many disgrace stories that come out with people. He even have photos and pictures showing that the bishop was in inappropriate relationship, and the church members refused to believe it despite the the plethora of, of, of evidence they because they had this confirmation bias in their mind that made them look past the evidence that was staring them in their faces. And so it is in this story, the people, the local people had this confirmation bias of what a Messiah should be so that they couldn't see that Christ was the Messiah and that he was already in their midst.
1: And so what kind of things do people miss out on when you have confirmation bias?
0: We sometimes miss out on opportunities, Uh, opportunities in the sense that God may be opening up a door for you to go through and saying, this is the the door I want you to go through that I can bless you. But if we have a a bias that says, this is how God is supposed to, to move, it is supposed to happen this specific way. We we might miss out on the way that God is doing it. So it's very important that when we 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 look at things like opportunities that we have an open mind to see to think outside of the box, or we will miss big opportunities. We also miss out on relationships because there are times when we we miss relationships with people because they don't they're not like us. They don't look like us. They don't have the same level of education and. They're from a different culture, and so we miss the richness of friendship because we we, we presuppose that this person is so different we could never have a good friendship. Where that person might have been, could have become the best friend that you could you could ever have. So the wise men represent someone who was able to think outside of the box and see that a king could be a king even if he's born in a manger.
1: So speaking of kings. Let's talk about King Herod and his role in all of this and what he represents in this story with the time we have remaining.
0: Herod represents, my voice is going there, let me see if I can say that again. (laughs) Herod represents narcissism and self-sabotage. And so in Matthew 2, verse 1 to 3, we see Herod as a tormented man. We are told that after Jesus was born, in, in Matthew 2, verse 3, it says, when King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. And so we get the picture there from that verse that Herod was tormented, he was disturbed because of the birth of Jesus. But what is ironic is that the angel's declaration in Luke 2 verse 9 to 11 is that Jesus had come to bring good news for all people, good news and great joy for all people. So here we have the prince of peace that have come into the world to bring peace. And we have Herod because of his narcissistic uh, uh, narcissistic self-centered tendency. He's afraid and paranoid that he's going to be overthrown. So I think there is something about the relationship with the Christ child and with, with Christ as the Messiah and Savior that people are threatened that their self-interest and self-love is going to be overthrown. And they are deceived into thinking that I can hold on. If I hold on to this what I have, I'm going to be happy, when in fact it is making them disturbed and tormented.
1: And so what are some other ways— this plays out in relationships today. How have you seen this maybe play out even in your own clinical practice?
0: I see in narcissistic relationships where you have, for example, a wife who is deeply in love with her husband and wants to... to to honor him and submit to him and to love him in godly ways. And we see these narcissistic men sometimes because of their insecurity. They're so controlling that they're strangling the life out of the relationship. So women who are made to feel that they can't even have friendships with other women, or they, they, they can't go anywhere without being questioned because of the insecurity of their spouse, what will eventually happen is that the love that, that these narcissists are seeking and the attention that they're going after from this person is that they're, they're sabotaging it and they're killing the relationship instead of, instead of giving the relationship a, a, time, a chance of succeeding. So many of these men end up being alone and broken because they sabotage and strangle the very thing that God was sending their way to bless them. And so here we had Herod trying to kill the very thing that God was sending to take him out of his torment and to bring him peace.
1: And so if you had Herod sitting across from you in your clinical practice, what kind of things would you be saying to someone like him to be able to break through from that?
0: But I'd like them to see that by by setting yourself up as the, the as an idol doesn't bring happiness. If you put yourself in the center, where you try to get everyone else to, you try to control everyone, and you try to 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 get everyone to do exactly what you want, and you become paranoid. This doesn't bring happiness. So the, I think the first thing I would say to him is examine the result of what your actions are bringing your way. Is it working for you is a question I would ask. And I think if if Herod was here, would say it is not working because Herod was considered to be one of the most brutal men of his time. He, he killed his relatives, he killed his wife and even some of his sons because of how insecure, how insecure he was. And so I think this is an example for us to, to note that we can't be so paranoid that we hurt the people who are trying to love us we have to bring ourselves to a place where we work on our insecurities and realize that it's not them. It's the issues that we have.
1: And so with the time we have remaining, what other lessons would you like us to take from this Christmas story on Christmas Eve?
0: Uh, one of the, the thing that I would like to, to, to briefly touch on here is, is that when you have a, a, a dynamic like we have in this story where you're either the the Mary who is feeling excluded or you are the wise man who is seeing knowledge and seeing things in a way that people close to you cannot see or you are the Herod that is sabotaging your situation, whichever of these characters you identify with, I would like you to know that Christ is the answer. He is the, the, the bearer of good news, the, the person who has come into the world to bring peace and joy. So whether you are suffering like Mary did, or you have knowledge that others can't see or others are rejecting because they, they just can't see it where you are. Christ is the is the way for peace in that situation. And so there are many of you who have been hurt because of, 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 uh, people who have been selfish and self-centered and you may be struggling with, with forgiveness, uh, during this holiday. So I'd like to, to close with a quote from from Francis Balfour, who was considered to be this successor to Charles Darwin. He was a very prominent biologist in the first part of the 19th century. And he said, the best thing that you can give your enemy is forgiveness to an opponent, tolerance, to a friend, your heart, to a child, a good example. And I think this is a very... uh, Potent quote that we can go into the holiday with, despite whatever it is that you're going through, forgiveness and love is the message. Is the message of the the good news that Christ came to extend to us forgiveness and love despite who we are, and that we can find peace by extending that to others as well. So I see that we are quickly out of time today, Melissa. Any final comment before we wrap up here for today?
1: I think you summed it all well in that quote. Merry Christmas to everyone.
0: And Merry Christmas to everyone as well. And we want to thank you so much for listening to this episode of The Life Transformation. Remember that you can contact us by email, by going to our website at Elim counselingministry.com dot com. E L I M. Counseling with two Or you can call us at one eight seven seven five four four three five four six. You can also interact with us on our Facebook page or on Instagram or uh, by listening to. You can also listen to uh, past podcast by going to our website so again thank you very much for listening and until next time this is your host michael hart of Elam counseling services
1: and melissa waggett
0: praying together that god would bless you in all your relationships and to keep you sound in mind and pure in heart